This podcast is hosted by Dr. Happymon Jacob. Dr. Jacob is an associate professor of security studies at Jawaharlal Nehru University, New Delhi. His weekly column on India's national security and foreign policy issues is published by The Hindu. He is also the author of two new books on India-Pakistan border, Line on Fire by Oxford University Press and Line of Control by Penguin India. Hello and welcome to the National Security Conversation. We spend around 50 billion dollars every year on our national defense. Are we getting the bang for the buck that we spent? If not, why? There is today a lot of grandstanding in this country about national security issues with the ruling party, the Bharatiya Janata Party taking the lead. But have the successive governments, has this government taken adequate measures to streamline India's defense spending? Let me read out to you something from the election manifesto of the BJP in 2014. It talked about creating a global platform for defense hardware manufacture and software production, maximum technology transfer in defense manufacturing, dedicated defense universities, greater participation of armed forces in the Ministry of Defense decision-making processes. As you know, None of these promises are fulfilled. Even more worrisome, if you take a look at the latest manifesto of the BJP, the defense reform is not mentioned in that manifesto. So to look at all these things and to discuss about India's defense budget, I have with me in the studio Abhigyan Reg. He is a defense analyst and a political risk consultant. He is a mathematician and statistician by academic training and writes on geoeconomics, geostrategy, and other national security topics. Abhigyan, welcome to the National Security Conversation. Thank you for having me. I'm going to begin with a very simple question. What exactly is India's defense budget? How do you define it? It's a very interesting question that you ask me because there is a lot of confusion around this. Uh, to start with, there is something called the allocations that is made to the Ministry of Defense, which has four headers. The capital expenditure expenditure allocations for the armed services, mm -hmm. the revenue expenditure allocations for the armed services, mm -hmm. the defense pensions for the armed services and also miscellaneous uh, expenditures for the armed services. The defense budget of India is only the sum of the revenue and capital expenditure allocations. The other two headers, the defense pensions and the miscellaneous expenditure is not considered part of the defense budget. Now, the other interesting twist to this is how that... Do our, how do others count it? Uh, I was going to get to that. So, if you look at CIPRI, for example, which also released a study comparing global defense spending just, I think, a few days ago, CIPRI's understanding of defense spending is slightly broader. For example, when CIPRI considers Indian defense spending, it takes all the four headers that I just mentioned, not just the revenue and capital expenditure uh, of, uh, of India's def uh, armed forces, which traditionally forms our understanding of defense budgets of, of budget of India, but also all of the MOD expenditure, plus expenditure on things like the border security force, on the central reserve police forces, headers that form uh, part of the Ministry of Home Affairs and not Ministry of Defense. So, 
when these external agencies look at India's defense budget, they are looking at a higher figure. They are looking at a higher than figure. the figure that we are looking at. That is right. Do these definitions make a difference at the end of the day, or is it only at the at the at the level of definitions you, you need more clarity? Is that what it is, or do they make a difference at the end of the day? They make a difference insofar as if you change definitions, if you broaden definitions by, and if you are looking at uh, the total figure as a percentage of GDP, of course, you know, it will grow, grow as a percentage of GDP. But I think as, as we will, I'm sure, discuss in course of this conversation, the heart of the issue is not really how much of the GDP you are spending as much as what you are spending on. And, and that, I think, is the crux yeah. of the matter. And that is what we should be focusing That's on. That's what we are going to come to. But before I do that, let me ask you your broad answer about Modi government's performance in the field of defense and national security. I'm asking this question because Earlier this year, you wrote that while Mr. Modi has continued to play up his image as a man for the military, especially on the post-Balakot campaign trail, the statistical record shows that beyond rhetoric and theatrics, his commitment to military modernization has been middling, gratingly contrasted to the UPA governments. That is right. What made you write this? Uh, that is right, Happen. Um, you know, I... The quote that, 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 that you just read out is from an article I wrote in March, and it was basically a statistical analysis of 20 years of defense budgets beginning from 1999, uh, 2002, 2018, 2019. Um, uh, and I kind of looked at four governments, two, two NDA governments, the Vajpayee government, Modi government, and UPA 1 and 2. And I kind of, kind of wanted to contrast uh, the, 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 the NDA's uh, performance with the UPS performance and see, see things. And something struck out. And, 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 and it was kind of very revelatory for me as well. And I'll give you some numbers. The average spending on military modernization as a percentage of the defense budget. So let me define, first define to you what military modernization means, defense mod. It's literally the money you spend on buying new weapons. So what percentage of the defense budget do you spend on buying new weapons, new planes, new tanks, right? What, what percentage of the defense budget goes into buying new weapons? So I wanted to see... That's modernization. Right, that's modernization. So what percentage uh, did uh, average, on the average, over 10 years, did uh, UPA 1 and 2 spend versus how much did Mr. Modi spend over, over the last five years? UPA 1 and 2 spent, the average was 32% of their defense budget, on the average, right? Mr. Modi, 28 28 versus 32. That is a difference of versus oh, what, 4%. Was, what was the uh, um, record of the Watchpai government? I don't, I don't recollect that. That, but I suspect that it would have been comparable to I, I, I think to UPA. That, that would be my guess because that was around the Cargill, Cargill period. But, but, I'll, but more than more than the average, I'll tell you something more interesting. In 2004 and five. 4-5 budget, which is the first budget that uh, post-election budget that, that UPA uh, 1 presents. That is when in that 20-year period, there's a peak of modernization share in the defense budget at 38.1%. Now, that is clearly not the doing of Manmohan Singh alone. Because what happens with modernization commitment is that you have often money that you are releasing for final delivery of products that the other government had already sanctioned. So most probably this was money that they were sanctioned, they were spending as final tranche of payment for commitments already made by Mr. Vajpayee or other governments. That, that's clear, but still it was a peak. 
that, that uh, in 2004 and 5. What is more interesting is that in 2013 and 14, which is the year of policy paralysis, remember the last year of the Manmohan Singh government, mm -hmm. which typically the narrative is nothing was going on in this country. Right, right. Military modernization commitment made by Manmohan Singh that year was more than 32 percent, more than the average of that. It was 32.1 percent. And all these figures are balanced for inflation, right? No, this is percentage of the of the. So you don't have to worry about inflation any of that kind of stuff. Okay. Thirty-two point one percent. Interesting. In contrast to 26.3 percent in twenty eighteen and nineteen, which is the last last complete budget that Mr. Modi presented. This budget was interim budget, so I'm not going to count it. Right. So these numbers tell you that the, the, the and, and hence the statement I made that 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 that, that, that when you look at hard statistics. Uh, and, uh, you know, his commitment to military modernization looks, well, middling. What, what, what explains this in your understanding? It's not as if the defense ministry or the PMO sits um, are down one day and says, let's reduce the expenditure as far as modernization is concerned. It's not that. It's something else. So what is that in, in your opinion? So, 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 so we have to step one, we have to go back one step. And this is something I explained in that article right in the beginning. See, I did not purposefully look at final expenditure, I looked at budgetary allocation and that there is a certain nuance in the two. See, when governments present budgets, their political statements, they reveal preferences. There is a difference between the expend defense expenditure, which is tracked two years down the line. So, the money that is spent on defense in this year will finally be accounted for all said and done two years down the line. Into, so, year excess spending is actual spending will be noted in the union budget of year, two years x plus two, right? But every, at each year when the budget is presented, it is a statement of your preference of what you want to do, right? So, I had intentionally tracked the budgets themselves as opposed to expenditure. Correct. Okay. Because it tells you what you want to do. So, it is a question of political commitment. It is, it is a not, question of yeah. political commitment. It is not a question of red tapeism. It is not a question of the it is processes. A question, it is a question and, and, and that is why I intentionally wanted to track budgets and budgetary allocations as opposed to expenditure. Right. And, and, and you may say, okay, why, so, so why is it that, that modernization goes down? Or, 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 you know, you can often suppress modernization or, or, or reduce your commitment to modernization uh, and why not something else? So, so, so where, where is that 4% going? I'll, I'll tell you. Think about it. You are sitting in, in the finance ministry or you are sitting in, 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 in MOD, right? I don't, uh, yeah. uh, South Block or North Block for that matter. What can you do? Can you get rid of soldiers? Can, can you lop off? We have, we have what? We have 13 lakh active servicemen in the Indian Army. I hope we discuss this right? because it is kind of absurd. Right? We, have, we have 13 lakh active armies, army, army soldiers. Can, can you lop their salaries off? You can't. If you expand the, go beyond the defense budget and look at the MOD pie itself, can you lop off defense pensions? You can't. That is a sovereign guarantee. You can't, you can't stop paying pensions. You can't. What is the one thing you can you can hit? Buying new equipment. Buying new equipment. Absolutely. So the victim in all of this 
are new planes. This is why you have, uh, you, you know, young pilots having to fly uh, MiG-21 Bisons. Right. Abhigyan, let me let me ask you a slightly related question, which is the the story of the defense spending is puzzling because on the one hand, India is one of the de biggest defense sure. spenders in the world, and and people in the development field, welfare field, say that you need to actually spend money on you know human security, education, epidemics, poverty, sure. health, etc., etc. Um, so you are looking at the enhancement of budget year after it. It's not as if the budget is going down; it's actually going up. That's right. So where is the problem? We are one of the biggest military spenders in the world. What is happening to the bank for the buck? The problem is not, not the spending. The problem is not that we are not spending enough. We are spending a lot. The problem is with misspending. The problem is that we are spending it on the wrong things. We are spending it on the wrong things. Now, when you say wrong things, are you talking about salaries? I am talking about the very fact that the ratio of revenue to capital expenditure right now is 2 to 1 which means that we are spending twice on revenue right. than on capital. And most of capital expenditure is, is, is military modernization. Not all, but most of it. So perhaps the only way out of this is what people have been talking about, right-sizing the Indian, Indian armed forces. It is right-sizing the Indian armed, armed forces. Yes, I, I mean, here is one thing. I mean, I mean, I mean you know, whenever th there is this discussion, and, 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 and I'm sure you've, you've heard this story before, people always say, well, look at the Chinese example, right? And, you know, when Xi Jinping comes to power, I, I think he got rid of like 300,000 Chinese troops like, like, like that. Of course, we can't do that because she can do it, but, but we, we can't. I'm not saying something as dramatic as that, but yes, some degree of right-sizing has, uh, has to happen. By the way, we have heard this right-sizing conversation now for some time. We have had successive government committees being instituted. Wheels are reinvented, reports are written, the latest one by General Hudda is given a report to the government on right-sizing the army. Uh, you, tell, you tell me one committee who has said, let us not right-size. Let's turn the conversation around. No, th there has been discussions. I mean, I mean, everybody comes and says, let's right-size. Elections, uh, 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 you know, this is a nice discussion. It never happens. And I have my personal theory on, on why right-sizing becomes very difficult. And I touched on that in my... In, 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 in the article that you just, just quoted, right? That, that, that right-sizing may itself have some political costs. Involved. In fact, you've written about it because I've, a lot I've of the recruitments actually take place from Bihar and UP, and therefore it may have political. That's right. Force. That's right. And this this is more drawing from the research of of Stephen Wilkinson, right? More than my own 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 research. And this is uh, the Army and the Army yeah. and the Nation, uh, the 2015 research. That you see this shift now in recruitment patterns, and the recruitment patterns have moved from this traditional martial states, which is Haryana, Rajasthan, this and that. Now it has now shifted Punjab, and now it has now shifted to UP. Right? This shift in some sense is expected. I mean, UP is 16% of the population, 13% of the army comes from UP. In some sense, it's okay. In the sense, you have a balance. So you're saying that the armed forces today probably is an actor in Indian system of politics. I think the armed forces is an actor. It is an active uh, armed force. The Indian army is an actor. And it is not just because of the representation part. That is one part. But it is an actor because of many other reasons. That especially today with all the... Especially today. But, but coming back to the issue of the representation, that you have this shift now, you have this movement uh, that has taken place where you, the recruitments are taking place from uh, uh, places like UP, 
where you cannot, it, it could become electorally very expensive if you start freezing recruitment there or, 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 or cutting down. So there are only two ways of uh, improving India's defense. Either you put in more money or you correct the imbalance that exists between revenue and capital expenditure. You can't do the latter. You can't do the former simply because there is only so much money that is available. You can't do the latter simply because that will upset the apple cart that exists today, which is the uh, the army, the is a political actor, and it will it will push back, and you can't have you can't have a situation where you don't pay you pay less salary or do away with pensions. That's right. That's so, you right. Go, so the only option then is to cut down the size of the Indian armed forces, or you start leveraging new technologies. You start investing in 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 next generation technologies, asymmetric means and whenever I, I use the word asymmetric especially in front of, of uh, the Indian military they think I mean asymmetric in Pakistan sense <laughs> and they start freaking out. I, I, you're saying we want to become no 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 asymmetric in the sense electronic warfare right. artificial intelligence right? right look we are sitting on a talent pool yeah. right and talent is cheap cyber AI talent is, is cheap yes. right for $2,000 a month, I can get a guy from IIT Kanpur who is a first-rate coder yeah. to come and work for the Indian Army. And do big data analytics. To do big data analytics, to develop, I don't know, electronic warfare. Incidentally, if you read the latest report which came out literally yesterday uh, that, that the U.S. government puts out for the, to, uh, as a the report on the Chinese military's uh, latest doings, they're saying that China is investing in electronic warfare like anything because China has figured out they do not want to match the United States aircraft carrier to aircraft carrier. They're going bankrupt trying to match U.S. system per system. So they are focusing on EW. They are focusing on swarms. They are focusing on various other things because that is the way they are thinking. That is how you balance things. Right. But India has India recently set up the um, uh, space command and the cyber command. Or co command we set agencies. up commands. I mean, we, th that, that is it the is. other thing. We think that we will we will somehow have something on paper and and it gets done, right? I mean, and but but by the way, you please tell me how does tri how do tri service agencies work without a CDS? Because nobody has ever explained to me that without a CDS, how does that work? I began talking about China. You wrote last year um, that a two-front force ratio, ratio Pakistani and fraction of Chinese inventories to India's, has evolved and varied considerably over time as China continues to rapidly modernize and numerically increase its military while India, while Indian military preparedness flounders. We often hear of the army chief talking about a two-and-a-half-front war, but you seem to... You seem to argue that uh, the Indian military is fundamentally unprepared for it in the uh, to, to face the unpleasant possibility of a two and a half front war. That's right. So, so what I had done there was 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 a kind of like a, in some sense a very basic exercise. I had uh, taken eleven equipment inventories between two thousand seven and two thousand sixteen. So number of fighter fighter aircrafts, number of fighter aircrafts with. Uh, ground attack roles, ma main battle tanks, uh, infantry fighting vehicles, etc., 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 11 of them, um, Chinese, Pakistani, Indians, from the military balance, the IISS military balance from 2007 to 2016, 10 years, and trace them over time. And then use a very simple metric, which is that it's a force ratio, 
park over India uh, and 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 plus some fraction of China China India because obviously China is not going to deploy all of it against India and 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 then traced it for varying uh, fraction of Chinese forces traced it over time just to see you know how does this look and the interesting thing I saw is is that even for a very small fraction of Chinese deployments right. 5%, 10%, 20% of Chinese deployment, the trend lines that you were seeing were looking pretty bad for India, right? So then the question, okay, it looks bad, but then that was kind of to be expected that it would look bad. Why did it look bad was the more interesting question. And it looked bad for two reasons. One was because obviously China was, has been adding equipment like anything, right? Chinese, uh, I mean, somebody was saying they were they're adding a French Navy like every n number of years or something for small enough n. Uh, so, so you, you know, China. But there was another very peculiar thing. Our relative advantage over Pakistan has flatlined. I'll give you an example. If you look at between 2000 and this is the speed. So you think the conventional military superiority? For certain parameters, and I'm, I'm going to give you an example. So between this period, 2007 and 2016, if you look at the number of combat capable aircrafts that India has and Pakistan has, obviously we have a superiority, right? It's a 2 to 1. We have a 2 to 1 advantage. So the ratio is 0.5, which means that we have a 2 to 1. But that has been decreasing, isn't no, it? No, I'm saying it has flatlined. So that 2 to 1 has remained more or less 2 to 1 over 10 years. So that has remained 2 to 1. So it's literally, if, if you look at the graph, it looks like a straight line. Right, right. But then if you add a small fraction of the Chinese thing which has shot up, obviously the balance goes haywire. So that's, that tells you why at a very elementary level, of course it, this analysis doesn't factor in terrain, this, that, this is a very basic kind of uh, kindergarten uh, <laughs> force assessment, but it looks bad enough at, 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 uh, even at that kindergarten level. But why do you think two front wars are a possibility when you have nuclear weapons? I mean, nuclear, if nuclear deterrence is supposed to be in operation between India and Pakistan, between India and China, why should we be worried about a two front war at all? I have, I have, two, I have two remarks here. Because it's a two-front war, so I have, I, have, I, have to, I have to make two <laughs> remarks. Well, I have to make two and a half remarks more precisely. We'll come to the two and a half later. <laughs> no, but I have, I have, seriously, I have two remarks. First remark is that I didn't start the conversation, or we, or the analyst, analytical community. It was started by General Rawat. That's right. And I have, I have my reasons to believe why he started it. It is not an accident that the conversations around two-front or two-and-a-half-front uh, wars have been started by the army the most manpower intensive force around. If you have a force that has 13, as I said, 13 lakh active personnel, sooner or later you have to justify the 13 lakh armed personnel. You make it two and a half front, more the merrier. You look at how much, you know, Rashtriya Rifles budgets went from something like 700 crores to it starts it now sits at around uh, 6,000 crores. 6,000 crores is not much, much, but it's still if you, the graph goes like this over the last 20 years, I, as I plotted in the other study. So the point is you have a, a, a situation where you have a very manpower extensive army that has to go and justify uh, its its existence. So then you say, well, you know, we have to be ready for for a, for a two front war. So then then that is where the conversation starts. 
Second part of your question is, is why do we, why do we have to worry about it? See, at a very fundamental level, I do not think that China, I do not think that China will ever collude with Pakistan. I mean, it never has. You know, Kargil was a good, good opportunity. And even with Balakot, I don't think they would, they would, they would bother. I think there's maybe a slight possibility that in the event of a kinetic action between India and China, maybe Pakistan maybe tries to do a little bit of a little bit of shifting of the LOC. But what really worries me is something else. It is Chinese presence in Gilgit, Baltistan, because because I have I have I I have heard from people who, who are in the know from various sides that there is a significant PLA presence now in in Gilgit, Baltistan. So my worry is that at some point there is going to be a little hot action around the LOC, which is going to upset the Chinese, right? Or maybe either us or the other side, there's going to be some contestation around shifting the LOC, which is going to upset the Chinese and they may get involved in some way. Possibly that that's the kind of, it's a low probability event, but that is, that, that is one, one thing that I see. Coming to the related question of nuclear deterrence, see, point is if you have no first use, Nuclear deterrence uh, can't really do much in terms of preventing a, 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 a two-front war. I can imagine nuclear deterrence playing a role in the sense, uh, you know, uh, one analyst, you and I, we both know, who has very thrusting views about matters, who has said, well, you know, stick nuclear-tipped prahars on, 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 on ingress points of, of the Chinese. Yeah, something like that works. You know the kind of like the American battle plan for 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 in, in, on, around the Fulda Gap during right so in the Cold War. Right? But why do you why do you believe that if you have a second if you don't have a first strike option, which is if you have a no first use policy, nuclear deterrence doesn't work with China? Why? What do you? No, say no, that? no, no. I, I'm saying in terms of preventing a, a China. Hypothetically, let's say that you have a situation where you have a collusive threat. This is a thought experiment between India and China, uh, between China and Pakistan, right. and they're attacking you both. Conventionally, how does your nuclear weapons come to play if you are committed to absolute no first use? No. Um, so th the question then is that what do nuclear weapons deter? Do they deter conventional no, uh, are, are, weapons or do they deter nuclear weapons only? The way we have that is the problem. The way we have phrased, the way we have tied our hands, successive governments. We have said our nuclear weapons are to deter nuclear war. It is a second strike weapon to prevent a nuclear first strike. So interesting. So you are saying therefore that because India has a policy where it says that nuclear weapons only deter nuclear weapons, China and Pakistan are free to use their conventional weapons in coalition uh, against India and India with India's hands will be tied behind its back. That is, that is right. If you read Indian nuclear weapons policy yeah. as stated, literally as stated. You know, your analysis on the defense budget also indicates certain patterns. You say that uh, uh, there's a persistent priorities for revenue expenditure over capital expenditure. We, we discussed that. Bureaucratic inertia, presence of holy cows, absence of a former national security doctrine to set priorities for defense expenditure. And more worrisome, no critical debates in public sphere on the on these dangerous stickiness and recurrence. There's a lot of lot of stuff there. Let's begin with presence of holy cows. Presence of holy cows. I'll just, just kind of give you an example. I'll tie it with the revenue capital discussion. Two thousand four five. 
the ratio of uh, revenue to capital, uh, or rather instead of boring your viewers with numbers, I will just tell you that if you look at the revenue capital ratio from 2004-05 to 18-19, it has been climbing mm -hmm. one after the other. Right, so I, th I think it the in in 2014-15 when Modi came to power, it was about 1.7. Now it's two, and it has been kind of uh, and before that around around I think 10-11 it was 1.7, and before that it was I think 1.5. So it was 1.5. I'm now remembering. Okay, two, 1.7, 1.5, 1.3. Mm -hmm. So that's 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 how it has been growing. That is a stickiness. In the sense that it keeps on growing, and 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 it means that no matter what you that that. By the way, the fact that it's growing, I'm not the only person who's seeing this. Mm -hmm. I think everybody's seeing this. the very fact that you're not being able to do anything means that there's some problems, there's some structural problems, that are being unresolved. I suspect one of them is the fact that you cannot lop off, as we discussed very early in this conversation, you cannot lop off personnel. That's one, which then ties into the question of holy cows. Also, right? That 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 can you can you really restructure the Indian Army, which has been the dominant service in the seventy years that India. So that's been, a holy cow you're talking that, about. That is a holy cow. The structure of the the composition of the of the three of, of the Indian military. Uh, yeah. You also talk about bureaucratic inertia. So are you are you by that talking about the problems in the procedures? Um, in the formulation of India's defense budget and the inability of the... Uh, of the defense budget, uh, the, the way we go about the business of acquisition, yeah. we also talk about the fact that there is very little accountability. I don't know if you would call that inertia or lack of accountability would be a better, better phrase, yeah. right? Yeah. The fact that, for example, DRDO has not performed. Why have heads not rolled? I don't understand it. And the budget is going up. The budgets have been going up three times three times, 20 years in real terms. This is after adjusting for everything and then the real terms, they've grown up by three times. But there is no accountability for DRDO's lack of performance, right? 70 years into the independence, if we have to import proper sidearms, that's a, that's, that's a problem, right? Why is there no accountability? What explains that in your opinion? Because there is no political interest in defense policy. Or oh, that is a holy cow. I think there is, it is a holy cow because there has not been any political, holy cow is because first of all there is an aura around defense and there is an aura around defense because there has been very little direct civilian involvement in defense, right? And there, and there has been a degree of benign neglect. About, about in fact, the, the CAG reports uh, indicate so many irregularities and mismanagement of allocated budget. Um, the underutilization of allocated funds of, have only, has only gone up. Um, so, is it, is it because of the bureaucratic inertia or is it because of lack of accountability or is it because the politicians are not interested? What, see, what see, is see, I have not studied the matter of, of underutilization of, of funds. So I would not rather comment on 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 what exactly was 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 going on there, right? On the on the CAG's um, report about irregularities and mismanagement of allocated budget, you mentioned that. No, I, I no, I think I think the issue, the without getting into any specific report of the CAG, the the problem here is that there is, first of all, there is a great deal of dysfunctionality when it comes to how the MOD interacts with the services. 
right? And there is a lot of blaming that happens back and forth. I mean, it is dysfunctional in, in, in a really, really honest sense. I've never seen so much bickering. If you go and talk to MOD people, they will blame the services. And the services, as you know, blames the MOD for every ill known to man. And, 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 and so there is this back and forth bickering, which means that if something goes wrong, it becomes very hard to find out who to even blame or who to hold accountable. Because if you go and say, why haven't you utilized this fund? I'm sure both sides will have competing stories to tell, right? And at the end, all of this could have been sorted out if, for example, there was a single point service chief, a military advisor who would have been the services, three services voice, talking to the civilian leadership, would have been an effective interface between the ministries, the CCA, the ministry, the CCS, the prime minister and the services. And then things could have all fallen into place, right? Do, do you think the DRDO would be, um, uh, would perform better if, the, if there is more competition, if there is less monopoly? And by that logic, if there is more participation from the private actors in, uh, in defense production? First of all, defense production and defense industry as a whole is extremely risky when it comes to private participation. And part of the reason are the success. other parts of the world. Part of the reason here is the constant scandals and scams and, and, and the charges of graft, real or imagined. I don't want to get into that at all. But this constant public discussion, negative public discussion, deters private actors from entering the space because there is a lot of risk involved. You have to understand for a private player to enter into defense, which is by the way, very capital extensive uh, invest uh, business proposition for that person to enter and, and to <coughs> first to compete with all the red tape that is involved in all of this. And then, you, you know, be perhaps accused of graft and, and, and irregularities. So there's too much of risk, right? So there is that problem. And, and so then DRDO becomes the kind of the default. In an OR of occasional paper, you write that uh, productive military spending is expenditure that drives innovation and capacity building in new technologies, while unproductive military spending is mostly in maintaining existing strength or in importing hardware. How does India fare in this, in this sort of issue vis-a-vis uh, -vis China? So this was a con the, the the quote you have is is from a paper that I wrote on Chinese uh, defense spending and defense economics in 2015, when China was just just getting started on what is now known as uh, civil military fusion, right. in, 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 in in China, and what they were doing was a very interesting thing where where they were trying to simultaneously move Chinese economy into the services sector which is a lot of investment into information technology, AI, data, this, that, and the other. But at the same time, leverage those innovations for defense purposes. Now, four years later, it seems that a lot of the things that I, I was kind of guessing that they were doing has, has all come true. So when I, when I was talking about productive military spending, I, was, I literally had something from economics and macroeconomics in mind where, where productivity of an economy increases by certain economic activity, total factor productivity in increases, right? And in such a way that that also has dual use, right? 
some time ago, I, I think I mentioned that you know this asymmetric means that that that, that India could adopt, right? Where where we develop technologies around big data and and so on, so which have vast civilian use, but which also have military use as well. Are we there yet? No, of course not. So we we, we are nowhere close to China. So the problem, sure. sorry, the problem therefore is that on the on the one hand you have a problem with the capital versus uh, revenue expenditure in the defense budget. Right. Once you deal with that, then comes the next problem of productive military spending versus unproductive military spending. Because even if you just look at the capital expenditure, yes, so even within that you are looking at two separate issues, which is productive as opposed to unproductive. Right. So one of the things I had said there, by the way, was it's very good that you bring this point up because one of the things I had said there is about this productive thing. Uh, so one necessary condition for productive military spending would be that that spending has to, has to be capital obviously capital expenditure, but it also has to be indigenous capital expenditure, right? And so the question is how much of India's capital expenditure or capital uh, well, defense modernization expenditure is indigenous? This number is very hard to mm. come by. I did make an, make an estimate. It's a rough estimate. I think it's about 61%, 61.5%. It's a rough estimate that, that, that I managed to come up with. So it's not, it's not that small, huh? So it's still 61.5%. But the point is that, but that's a necessary but not a sufficient condition, right? right? So, so, so it's sixty-one point five percent. But what are we making? Are if that is all? And China is doing much better. China is doing much better. But China is doing it in a different way. See, see, it's not just that they're making things; they're just making low-end weapons or whatever. They're leveraging the yeah. the, the, the the civilian sector, high New tech, technology. and. Fundamentally, because they have they have erased the line between military research, military expenditure, military innovation, and civilian innovation. By the way, which is one of the reasons why guessing Chinese military spending is next to impossible. Okay, Abhigyan, my last question. That's going to be a provocative question. Um, you know, there is a lot of rhetoric surrounding um, national security these days, and and some people say it's. Uh, uh, rhetoric about national security is a good idea because it, it conveys a certain message or resolve to your adversary. What's your opinion about that? See, the, 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 it's, a, it's a very basic thing. So, so you so you have capabilities and you have intent, right? And the danger is that intent without capabilities is bluffing. Right? Now, bluffing is good. If you I, 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 no. Bluffing is good as long as you are not caught. Or if you have the capability. Or if you have the capabilities. But if you are caught and you do not have the capabilities, it is a path to doom. Right? And my worry is, is that as we scale up the rhetoric as we have with capabilities that are questionable uh, to, uh, to put it very mildly. Yeah, very limited. To put put it very mildly, uh, you, you know, we we are entering into in, into very uh, very tricky territory. So so I I hope you know whoever comes back, uh, the current prime minister, somebody else, you know, we we give defense a very hard look. You know, last couple of months I think has been um, uh, very emotional. I think for all of us. I think May 24th, everybody takes a deep breath, politicians, we analysts, uh, you know, everybody takes a deep breath and, and we'll have, right. to, yeah. have, to, have to give national security a very hard look. The, 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 the fact is that we spend a lot of money and we better get the bang for the buck. Absolutely. absolutely. Again, wonderful talking to you. Thank you, Atman. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you like this podcast, please 
rate and follow us. For regular updates, you can also follow our Twitter handle NSC with HJ or our Facebook page National Security Conversations with Happy Mon Jacob.